Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. O God, you rule over all things in wisdom and kindness. Take away everything that may be harmful and give us whatever is good through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21 and 26 through 28. Put these words of mine in your hearts and in your soul and tie them on your wrists as signs and symbols on your forehead. Teach them to your children by talking about them when you sit in your house and when you travel on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord promises to your fathers with an oath, as many as the days that the heavens remain over the earth. You see, I'm placing before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing? If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. Or the curse? If you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God and turn away from the path that I am commanding you today by walking after other gods whom you did not know. This is the word of our Lord. Imagine, if you will, that you are 20 years old and you are an Israelite. You are about to enter the promised land. There's a conquest that must happen. You are going to take the promised land. But the Lord has promised he will be your power, your weapon, and your defense. Moses stands before you to reiterate the covenant made on Mount Sinai. And now we've got to rewind over 40 years prior. It would have been your grandparents' generation. They had come out of Egypt. They saw God with the mighty plagues. They saw Pharaoh chase after them and God part the Red Sea and then swallow the largest army of that time in history and protect you. But they didn't trust in God. They grumbled. We want meat. We want bread. God sent quail. God sent miracle bread. And you have lived on this your whole entire life. But they still didn't trust in God. They complained and God sent water out of the rock. They get to Mount Sinai and they make that covenant. And it was a very simple covenant. You remain faithful to me and my word. And I will keep you as a sovereign nation that will shine with my glory. They hardly made the covenant when Moses was on Mount Sinai too long. And they make the golden calf. That generation didn't follow the word of God. In fact... When they sent 12 spies into the promised land, 10 of those spies came back and said, we are grasshoppers in these people's eyes. We couldn't possibly conquer them. Only Joshua and Caleb, who were the only two of that generation that were allowed to enter the promised land, said, this is nothing to God. And they were right. Because the generation Moses is talking to today... They will go in places like Jericho, circling the city and blasting trumpets, making the walls come tumbling down. That was God delivering the city to them. That generation, the first generation, they refused to trust in the Lord. And God said, enough, you won't enter the promised land. So Moses reiterates the covenant to the generation that is about to enter the promised land. And that's God's message. Stay faithful to my word. But he holds before them blessings 
You will get that land and God will send the rain and it will flow like milk and honey for you and curses. But if you don't, and for example, it happened in Ai where one man hoarded stuff God said was not to be hoarded up, then God lifted his hand of protection and God would withhold the rain. And so today, as we apply this Old Testament text to you and I, in its Orthodoxy Sunday, where we focus on getting the word right, and then the privilege of sharing that word, we come to our sermon theme, which basically is the question, what blessings come from keeping God's word? Our text in verse 22 begins by saying, put these words of mine in your hearts. Literally, the Hebrew says, and you shall set the word of mine upon your hearts, setting it there. How do we set the word of God upon our hearts? We have to understand that Jesus is the spokesman of the Trinity. So he is called the word of God. And so when we keep the word right, we are staying faithful to the message Jesus sent. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit inspired the men who wrote the word of God. And so when we keep the word right, we are honoring the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is the one who planned for you to hear that word, planned for it to be recorded. We are honoring the Father. Now, if you were married to someone who decided to pick and choose what they were going to believe that you said constantly twisted your words and only heard what they wanted to hear, that wouldn't last very long, would it? Now, we're sinners and couples have communication problems. But if this happened all the time, it wouldn't be a surprise when that marriage went to the divorce court, would it? It's sad today that Christians don't understand this. God's word is how he promises to communicate with us, And yet we decide to pick and choose what we're going to believe. We'll make it say what we want to say. We'll confuse law with gospel. And we don't keep it true. But as I've already mentioned, Jesus is the word. The Holy Spirit's the one who inspired it. The Father's the one who planned everything out. Keeping God's word goes right to the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that means not making idols and things like that. And this generation did a fairly decent job, but you get several generations ahead to the prophet Elijah. The people loved Baal, who was a false god of rain, and they started chasing after him, so God withheld the rains. There are curses when we screw up the word of God because it is here that God says he loved you so much that he took on human flesh for you so that he did all the work for your salvation. The minute you confuse that, you lose the fact that God loves you so much he freely saved you. When we love the word of God, that flows right into that commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because God's name tells you everything God does for you. And so here we already see his names are revealed in the word, and we are going to mess up what he does for us if we mess up his word. And that flows right into that commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, which is Martin Luther rightly says in his catechism, For us, since we're not the people of Israel making that Sinaitic covenant for us, that means do not despise preaching or the word, but gladly hear, learn, and obey it. When God is first place in your heart, it changes everything. Because God's word changes your perspective on this world. The meaning of life does not become he who dies with the most toys win, or he who has the best reputation or the most power. The meaning of life is God redeemed you. 
because he loves you and he's made you his child. He gets first place in our hearts. And the blessing of that, when the rains come in life, as our gospel lesson in Matthew told us, we're not washed aside. We stand on that solid rock of our salvation. What blessings come from God's word? When it's our first love in our heart, we have it pure. We have the confidence of our salvation and the world can't shake us. But our text continues again. Put these words of mine in your hearts and in your soul. God created Adam and Eve with a soul. They had the image of God. They were meant to be eternal. They lost the image. They begat children in their own image. In our natural condition, you and I are torn. We're not right. We're dead. And yet we're alive. Pardon the analogy, but spiritually we're like zombies. Until that life-saving word comes to us and the Holy Spirit gives us the new man. Now allow me to make an analogy. The family pet last week, who is a very high-strung animal and very protective, started getting really sick, became very lethargic, stopped eating. Became pretty clear three days into this, it was time to get the family pet to the vet. Some tests revealed that she had ate something she should not have, and she had a really bad bacteria in her system. Left unchecked, it would have killed her. The vets prescribed some antibiotics and she's her normal self again. That is our sinful nature. Even after the Holy Spirit gives birth to your new man, that sinful nature is like that bacteria. It wants to kill your new man. When we come to the Word of God, it nourishes us. It keeps that new nature in us, that new man alive. I can't remember what I ate for lunch or dinner last Saturday. But my body is still healthy. If you look at my pot belly, you can tell maybe it's a little overnourished. We cannot overnourish our souls. I had a man one time tell me in a conversation, you pastors sound like you want us in church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No. But we do want our people well-nourished. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. When you come to hear the Word of God, and when we offer it, when we're able to offer it again, when you come to Bible study, and even just taking a couple of minutes a day to do meditations, you are nourishing and keeping your soul strong. The result is, your soul is kept strong to stand up to the constant attacks of the devil because this world will give us false loves in our hearts. Loves for the bigger vehicle, for the better house, for more power, for better health. But when your soul is well nourished, you remain a strong child of God. When we stay away from the Word, then, like my dog who was not feeling like eating very much, we start starving ourselves. So we see the blessings that come with having the Word of God pure in our heart. It's our first love because God is our first love. And in our soul we have and we keep eternal life and we're able to stand up to the storms of this world. Now our text continues, put these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and tie them on your wrists as signs and symbols. When you tie something around your wrist, what do you do with your hand? You work 
with your hand. Now, we can get confused and think that we have to do work to earn salvation. There's the curse. Because if you think you have to do the work to get God to forgive you, you are going to work like somebody who's never satisfied. And if you think you finally reached it, you're going to be arrogant. And you're not going to see the need for God. God has done the work to save you. But what he's talking about here is letting the word permeate in the works that you do. These are your callings in life. Mother, father, aunt, uncle, employee. The various roles God has placed you in with the various natural and spiritual talents he has given to you. Now it's especially focusing on the role of parenthood where Moses says in verse 19 and following, teach them to your children by talking about them when you sit in your house and when you travel on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many on the land that I promised to your fathers with an oath as many as the days that the heavens remain over the earth. The greatest gift I can give to my children is to teach them the word of God. My greatest fear is to not see them in heaven. I was very blessed. I remember my dad's hobby was reloading and he often joked with me that he had me to run a reloading press. And many of the times we were down at his workbench and, and I was running the press as he was doing other things, especially when I was a teenager. And you have to understand, my dad was only home one weekend a month due to his job. But those things that had bothered me in the month he was gone, those times when a teenage boy needs a father, my dad would talk to me often about Abraham and his son Isaac. Dad shared his faith. I don't think he realized how much he was doing it. And you've heard me say in many a sermon, my own mother was often my own Sunday school teacher. As a pastor, I have taught kids in catechism whose parents seem to be working against me, and yet I have seen the Holy Spirit work through those words, and those kids stand out on Examination Sunday with the love for the Lord. Some of them still call me, and, and, and they still have that love. But i got to tell you, usually when I have kids in catechism, the ones who really, you see that they're getting it and the word is connected, the difference is that their parents don't see it, that it's my job or, or the Sunday school's job to teach their kids. They see it that it's their job and I'm there to help them and the Sunday school is there to help them. Usually those kids grow up being pretty strong and active in the church. There's a blessing in knowing God is working on this child and he's given me the privilege of having them drink from the hose of his word, the water hose, to keep their soul nourished. Now, in our work also means in your, in your careers, in your occupations. I'm going to apply this to myself for a minute. Obviously, as a pastor, I get the privilege of sharing the word of God. Usually, as a pastor, when somebody comes to talk to me, they're already believers. They may be weak and new in the faith, but they're already believers. When I worked at the machine shop or when I worked as a technician at the car dealership, it never ceased to amaze me how often people would come up to me and say, I know you're a Christian. I have a question for you. How wonderful it was to have that privilege. Sometimes some of my former employers will call me up every now and then. One of them says, I've never been able to beat your honesty. Now, I wasn't honest in order to be saved. I was honest because I was a Christian. 
My Christianity showed through, and so does yours. God has put you in your various workplaces. Not that you have to force His Word into every conversation, but it's simply there in the gifts He's given you. So we see in your work, you have a blessing because it's a curse for unbelievers. They work to get more stuff to sustain their life, and they constantly watch as Wyoming winds blow along, as blizzards come, as stock markets crash, as oil industries bust. It's like they're working, and it's sand in their, in their hands that just runs right through their fingers. But you recognize you have something else. God has put you where you work to provide those services. You're working to show the glory of God, and He blesses that. Your life does not revolve around your work. You know that God has done the work to save you. So the last thing he says, and allow me to read my Hebrew translation there. And so you shall set these words of mine upon your hearts and upon your very existence. And you shall also bind them for a sign upon your hands. And they shall also be for marks between your eyes. So that's the forehead. But it's neat. Between your eyes. This is what you're focused on. I'm teaching one of my children how to drive. Of course, in Wyoming, we teach him to look way down that road, especially, and tell you know, you see those antelope over there? These are kind of kamikaze. They'll jump out on the road. So he's always got his eyes focused further up ahead. And when it's on your forehead, this permeates your thoughts. You live your life with your eyes focused on the cross of Christ, on that word. And when the devil sends those things into the road, you're able to see them coming. You're able to say, no, that's not salvation. And you're able to be, remain focused on what is important. And it permeates your thoughts. Oh yes, we have that sinful nature, but you often, you view the world through a totally different filter. We've already been covering that in the sermon. You don't live to take care of your body and, and nourish and provide for it. You know God's gonna do that already. You live because you are God's adopted child. And you know you're already saved and you already have an inheritance and you live with your eyes focused on the cross of Christ knowing the meaning of life is God created you to redeem you and love you. And once you have that, you shine with His love to others and therefore in your daily life, everything that happens goes through the filter of the cross and where the world would grumble about hardships, you're able to say, God is using this for my good. And ultimately, I will receive the new heavens and the new earth. I will be before the throne of my heavenly Father. And so, as Moses gives his farewell speech and basically as this generation's about to enter the promised land, Moses says, if you're not faithful to the word of God, he's going to do like he did to your parents and your grandparents. But if you're faithful, God will bless you and prosper you and your children. And we see applying that. We live in the New Testament times. What blessings come from keeping God's word in your heart? He's your first love. And you keep that word pure and cling to it because he is your heavenly father. In your soul... You are eternally alive and eventually he's going to rip that sinful nature away and you will never be able to sin again. In the meantime, you're nourishing that soul. In your work, God's word and glory shines through and you are privileged to share the word. And in your mind, you see the world through different eyes with a different filter. You know that you're but a stranger here. Heaven is your home and God has promised it to you and is keeping it for you. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, heaven and earth are full of your glory. All the stars, the sun and moon, all energies and forces, the sea and clouds are messengers of your wonder and might. For your creation, we praise you, O Father. We pray for your church and your people. our homes that parents may be kept in the bonds of love and rule their children well, nourishing them in truth and righteousness. We pray for all who may be ill in body, mind, or spirit, for all who may be in danger, for all who may be in anxiety or perplexity, for all who may be suffering disappointment or defeat. Lord, just as there are good pastors and sadly bad pastors, good doctors and sadly bad doctors, there are good policemen and bad policemen. As our nation is tearing itself apart, we pray that you open up our nation's eyes to see the vast majority who are not on a power trip that protect them and protect their property and protect their lives with servants' hearts as you have called them to do. We pray that you give our nation peace during this time of turmoil and calm it down. As we continue to meet during the time that the COVID virus is infecting our nation, we thank you that we are able to gather together and that you have protected our flock and we pray that you keep us protected from this virus. But if it's your will that one of us contracts it, help us to see your loving hand behind it. This COVID virus and other things have caused oil workers to be laid off in a, in a tremendous decline in our natural resources industry. We pray that you be with those who have lost their jobs and the impact it's having even on our state's budget. Let, let the economy come back for our state, but also use this time of hardship for us to once again see your loving and providing hand. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Heavenly Father, you did not spare your own Son, but freely gave him up for us all. Mercifully grant peace in all other acceptable traditions, as you believe in our hearts, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.